Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today I'm joined with Benjamin Windle, who's an author and pastor, so stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode with Benjamin Windle, who's an author and pastor. This is a special conversation today. We discuss the power of hope in the midst of pain and suffering, how both work together. One is not devoid of the other. We discuss Benjamin's uh, background uh, in Australia, now living here in the United States, and um, just the, the backdrop of the challenge of pain, how in his uh, expertise and in investigation in Gen Z and millennials, uh, what some of the new challenges are and loneliness, but as he uh, compels us to consider, not just for these demographics, but for folks, for everyone, how we're wrestling with loneliness, spiritual friendship. And so I'm excited for this conversation. Before we dig in, if you like these messages, if you're tuning in and want to stay up to date, or also if you have guests in mind that you want to hear or um, any other content you would like uh, to receive, please subscribe to our newsletter at theguyslikeus.com. You can scroll to the bottom and subscribe, or a pop-up should appear as well. Well, here's my conversation with Benjamin. Thank you so much, Tyler. Looking forward to our conversation today. Mm, certainly. And so, um, as as I always start these podcasts, uh, try and you know get get a sense of a little bit more about your background, your uh, your your faith walk, and um, and then kind of how you know how that's led you to you know be be a pastor for the most part. And I know you've you know done some writing as well. I appreciate the question because I guess that's the genesis of, of all we do, isn't it? It's our faith journey. Mm. I'm a pastor's kid, actually. Mm. So, you know, my, my dad was a pastor. I've been raised in the church. Mm. At the age of 16, I came to mm. that fork in the road moment mm-hmm. where I could walk away from my faith in the church like most of my friends had. Or I could stay and hopefully be a part of the solution. And that's the decision I made. It was a life-altering decision to say, mm-hmm. not, not only am I here, but if there are changes and challenges and reinventions that need to happen in the church, then I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that put me on a trajectory of pastoral ministry. I was a full-time vocational pastor for over 20 years and recently transitioned from my church that I founded in Australia. Mm-hmm. And now I'm doing this kind of thing. I'm writing, I'm creating content, and I'm also consulting and helping churches specifically with millennials and Gen Z and helping them reach and relate to new generations. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, that's a quick snippet. Yeah. Well, I'd love to, you know, maybe toward the end of this podcast, we can get a little bit more into the the, the work you've been doing with millennials, Gen Z, because uh, that's certainly fascinating. Yeah, whatever you'd like. Great. And so, you know, I know you're just, just released this book here, which is available in April. Um, and, uh, you know, by the time this podcast is released, the book will have been available. It's called the, it's called good catastrophe, the tide turning power of hope. Um, 
and so I think for there to be hope, right, or there's this sense of this, this, that there, there might be something that's the opposite of hope. There might be some pain or suffering that uh, causes a, you know, a challenge to reach hope. Or, um, so I would love just to hear a little bit more on the, yeah, the genesis of this book. What, what prompted you to write this? And uh, we can start from there. I think when you pastor with people long enough, you know, for me over 20 years, you walk through the full spectrum of the human experience, which involves certainly mountaintops, which we celebrate, but it also involves valleys and storms and the unexpected. And one of my observations hmm. was for sure, what really separates people is how they respond to adversity. And the world feels like it's getting infinitely more complex at a rapid rate whether that's school shootings, cultural upheaval, just division, tension, financial stress. We look at the future, and particularly younger generations look at the future, mm -hmm. and for the first time in a long time feel less optimistic about what they see ahead. I mean, for me, I was raised in that 80s. You know, it felt like we look to the future and technology as things are getting better. Hmm. And the thought that younger generations now look at the future and say things are things are trending in the wrong way. Hmm. And in fact, there's a number for this CDC recently did a survey and they revealed that 57 percent of teenage girls said they felt persistently sad or hmm. hopeless, like not just normal sad, not just, oh, I had a bad day, but I have a persistent feeling of sadness and hopelessness hmm. we have a hopelessness epidemic hmm. and so i wanted to provide people with a blueprint to find their way through pain hmm. to find their way through imperfections and i think this book good catastrophe the subtitle is the tide turning power of hope i think the release couldn't have been timed better even though it's been many years in the making because it's having a conversation right now with a cultural moment and where it feels like there are some dark clouds that mm -hmm. are brooding on the horizon right now globally there is a desperate need for the kind of transcendence that only mm. comes from hope mm. in a world that feels dark and so good catastrophe is all about helping people navigate their way through but more importantly how to reframe imperfections, how to relook at challenges mm. in their life and how to harness those for their growth. Mm. So we, you know, we'll use the word Genesis again, right? And the Genesis of pain is it comes in Genesis, <laughs> Genesis three, and, um, certainly know the, the, the challenge of that, uh, how it's been present, but also the moments of acceleration. And I think some of this data we're seeing now is the acceleration of mental health, loneliness, anxiety. And this is a, I'm sure as a, you know, as a trend that you're seeing time and time again, especially with these, these emerging generations. Um, and so I'm actually reading through the problem of pain right now by C.S. Lewis. And so it just offers a, you know, a very, you know, important perspective on, on pain, but would love just to, I know you, your the book, you focus on Job. Uh, that's one of your guiding kind of passages here. And so what, what have you learned about pain, suffering by looking kind of through the lens, the story of Job in the Bible? Well, firstly, you mentioned C.S. Lewis. 
And I have a quote from him in my book, and it's, I love this quote. He says, mm. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Mm. I think we're familiar with the whispers of God, mm -hmm. but there is a clarity that comes through hardship mm. that God speaks to us in unique ways. And he certainly did that in the life of Job. Mm. I was raised with a certain retelling or treatment of the story of Job. Hmm. And I have come to revisit and in some ways reject that treatment of Job. Hmm. For those that are not familiar with the story of Job, mm -hmm. he's a character, it's a, it's a book and he's a character in the Old Testament. And the man has come to embody what it means to go through suffering mm -hmm. and hardship. And Job, the book of Job starts with, with us being told as readers that this guy's a good guy, right? He, he, hmm. He's not about to see all this calamity in his life because he's done something to earn it. He's a man of character. He's a man of integrity. Mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a man that follows God. And then a perfect storm hits. In a single day, everything he's built collapses. He loses his 10 children. I mean, it's just devastating. He loses his businesses, he loses his health. And the typical treatment of this story goes something like this, Tyler, and mm. perhaps you've heard it, that Job had faith and hope in God. And eventually through that hope, and because of that hope, Job got back twice as much as what he lost. You know, mm -hmm. there, there was redemption in the sense that everything he lost was replaced, but two times over by God. Mm -hmm. And you may say, well, why have you come to resist that telling of the story of Job? Well, um, I think we miss. It's such a uncomfortable subject to dive into when it comes to people's pain and storm. There are some details mm -hmm. we choose to just read over pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. But here's a really important detail and probably the most important. I have three sons. If you came to me and said, hey, we've got a deal to make with you. Uh, we're going to trade you your three sons for, for six newer sons. Now, hey, hmm. maybe there are days where I would take that deal. <laughs> but the reality is, hmm. uh, no way, man. Are you kidding me? Like, you could trade me 3,000 other children but these are my sons. These are my children. They're irreplaceable. This is not a mathematical formula. It almost strikes me as callous hmm. to say the man got everything back, but he never got his 10 children back. So he went on to have more children, hmm. but he never got his 10 children back. Hmm. So what does that mean? It, it means that Job did not recover what mattered most in his life this side of eternity. There's an unresolved nature hmm. to that. But actually, that brings us right to the heart of hope. That even in pain and despair, not, not its absence in the middle of it, hope flourishes. So with Job, hmm. I couldn't wrap a ribbon around the box and present a neatly finished package that said, well, with hope, Job truly you know, discovered that, uh, you know, Hope, hope meant that he was immune from all pain uh, or that he got things back after he lost them. 
but I did find something better, and it's this. Hope, the kind of hope that shows up when we don't get the ending that we want. Hope that shows up when we can't see a way through. It's that hope that is potent, it's gritty, and it's needed today. When I was raised in the church, we had this postcard idea of kind of hope and faith that kind of if you follow God, obey his teachings, then your life will look like favor and goodness and breakthrough and miracles. And I still believe in all of those things. It's just not the full scenario of the lived human experience because that narrative can start to sound like put your faith in God and here's this postcard version of what you're going to, what your future will be. And then here's what happens. Mud gets thrown on our beautiful postcard. Imperfections, storms. You know, for me in the last hmm. 12 months, I lost my brother. I lost two grandparents that, you know, I loved dearly. I went through a major life transition. Mm-hmm. And every listener would have similar things, right? Yes, I've been through cancer or grief or trauma or doubt or heartache how does God show up in that? How does hope reveal itself in that? And what good hmm. catastrophe is all about is showing people that hardship and hope together do something for us that a problem-free life never could. That's the big discovery. Hmm. That's really good because I think you're right. I think, well, you used the word earlier, uh, optimism. And I'm actually curious to hear if you have a distinction between optimism and hope, because, well, I guess in general, I think a lot of us, when we think of hope, we just think of, uh, I don't know, perhaps like happy thoughts, or we have these images of mind, right. Of just kind of skipping around and everything's going to be, you know, fine and dandy. And yeah, we're going to have twice the amount, right. That we, and that these things all could happen. Right. But there's almost this sense that with hope, there is an absence of pain, right or there's an when you reach full hope or full fullness of hope then pain is seems to go the opposite way but what i what i'm thinking you're saying is that no these two work together and that in the midst of pain there's hope in the midst of hope there still is pain would that be accurate or how would you just kind of yeah perhaps just the the overall vision of what hope looks like and kind of going back to my thing is that is that different from optimism simply kind of or maybe happy thoughts i don't know I have a concept vehicle I want to give you, but before that, when it comes to optimism, you know, um, I, in the process of researching and writing this book, I probably started out with a similar hypothesis, optimism maybe is just positive thoughts and isn't super helpful and maybe can set us up for disappointment. The research I discovered that mm-hmm. I, I, I reveal in the book would point mm-hmm. in a different mm-hmm. direction, mm-hmm. that optimism optimism is kind of like a um, cousin mm-hmm. of hope mm-hmm. and uh, affects our psychology and brain to a point that it literally brings about change in our life. Mm-hmm. So optimism yeah. itself, the ability to wake up in the morning and actually believe no matter what I'm walking through, good things are coming my way. Mm-hmm. is an essential life skill, mm-hmm. but it's not a spiritual practice. Hmm. Hope hmm. is a spiritual practice of the soul. It's much deeper than just something that helps my brain. Hmm. It's something that can truly only come about through God. So in Job 14, where he writes about 
Job says about his own life, hmm. my life was like a tree that's been cut down to a stump, but at the scent of water, you know, it will flourish again and, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. forth. The tree will grow again. That's right. a picture right. of spiritual hope to say that my life has literally been cut down to a stump. It, for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes, mm-hmm. it's dead in the earth. Mm-hmm. But it literally just the scent of water, new life can come. Mm-hmm. That new life is the kind of life that God does within the human soul. Mm-hmm. And that's where hope is alive. The Christian faith is built on three pillars, faith, hope, and love. We often talk about faith mm-hmm. and love, but not a whole lot about hope. That's true. But hope is this dynamic, and I call them good catastrophes. They're, they're dual events. They're redemptive moments Mm. and what they are is this that they're the turn that only god can make where the same thing that almost broke you brought you to your knees covered your face in tears become redemptive markers Hmm. in your life that now shape your your values your successes and and breakthroughs that's a good catastrophe so tyler Mm -hmm. when you think of moments in your life where you're like you know what when i look back over the last five years or ten years there were these three moments, and at the time, I thought, this is a catastrophe. There's no way out. There's no way through. This is the end of it. How did I end up here? This is the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. This is devastating. But how often, when we look back on those moments, the things that we talk about that really make us who we are, we don't point to cruises. We don't point to sitting by a pool in a resort. Mm-hmm. We point back to those same instances and say, I thought it was the end of me. I thought there was no way through, but I wouldn't Mm. be doing what I'm doing now if it weren't for that. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be who I am today Mm -hmm. if it weren't for that. For me, I would say I wouldn't be the husband I am. I wouldn't be the father I am if it weren't for the challenges that I've walked through. So Mm. the concept of vehicle is this. It comes out of my native country of Australia, the eucalyptus tree. Mm. And I recently walked through um, land that had been devastated by a forest fire. The ground was still black with ash, still smoldering, smell of smoke was still strong. And as I looked out over this just charred, blackened landscape, I could see hundreds of bright green eucalyptus tree shoots. And hmm. I'm like, hmm. how are they so quick to regenerate? You know, they're so resilient. Hmm. Uh, what an important concept that is. They're, they're resilient. Here's what I discovered scientifically about the eucalyptus tree. That there, there are certain species that only a fire can burn away the outer coating. That it's a tough coating that literally is melted by the fire to allow it to germinate. Hmm. So it's not just a story of surviving a fire. Often people think that's what hope is. I made it through. No, it's way better than that. Hmm. It's that the fire is necessary in order for the potential to be birthed. So the same fire that brings devastation Hmm. is also the key that unlocks new life. And so hope provides us with a framework and a filter through which to see every adversity and imperfection and challenge Hmm. that comes our way in Hmm. life. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, I'm reminded of this kind of a guiding verse 
that you have here, and we'll, I'll just read it for our listeners to give us kind of a, a insight into Job fourteen seven through nine. Right, for there is hope for a tree if it will, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease, though its root grow old in the earth and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. So I think that that just captures that example that you had of the eucalyptus. And that's really, it's really fascinating. And so I, I think, right, what are some, perhaps some examples where, where hope is embodied in some of your experiences um, or some other, other folks that you've just had compelling, wow, that's certainly a message of hope and helps explain the totality of, I think, what you're depicting here. And a good catastrophe the primary audience of this is men correct yes yes okay so so let me say this to men then Tyler Mm. Um, because this was one of my big discoveries in in good catastrophe and something that I think I mean this relates to men and women Mm -hmm. but if there are men listening I think particularly relevant Mm -hmm. I asked the question, is there a link between friendship and hope? Because I've often seen hope as more of like a private internal experience that happens in me as an individual. But I'm starting to see hope as a communal experience. Hmm. And for me to truly experience the tide turning power of hope, I need others. And I write it this way, hope needs human skin. So take my Hmm. generation, right? I'm 40, I'm an old millennial. (laughs) You know, my generation, 22% of us say, when we go through adversity in life, we don't have a single friend to talk to, Hmm. alone on an island. Not not, not 2% of us, like literally one in four, it's not that we don't have 10 friends. We don't have one friend. Hmm. Gen Z is even worse. According to a survey done by Cigna, 79% right. of Gen Z say they feel lonely. Mm-hmm. And I think this really matters because it gets to the heart of what actually took place in this man's life, the story of Job. Now, there are three friends that turn up on this man's, in this man's tragedy. Hmm. For those that have been around church for a little while, these guys are villains, right? These guys are infamous because they give bad advice and they question Job's character and they question the heart of God and they throw a whole lot of doubt into the mix. But I think we've missed something really important about these three men. Hmm. Job is alone. He's sitting in the dust. He's so broken emotionally, he's become physically disfigured. People can't even recognize him. Hmm. He has cried so much. He has literally no tears left to cry. Hmm. And through that dust on his face, on his knees in the dirt, this man looks up and on the horizon, he sees to me what is the most beautiful image of this book. He sees three men. Hmm. They're friends. They've left their families. They've left their homes. They've left their cities. And they've come on this journey to be with their friend who's lost everything. Hmm. They sit with him in the dust of the ground for a week without saying a word 
man, talk about just a dramatic and special moment because mm. these three friends aren't going on a vacation. They're not going to visit Job at the pinnacle of his success, which he was. They're turning up when the whole world has walked out. Mm. We don't know what would have happened in the life of Job if, if it weren't for these three friends. Now, sure, like most of our male friends, they go on to give their advice and their opinion, and it's, it, okay, <laughs> it needs correcting. Ultimately, God corrects a whole bunch of it. Sure. But let's not overlook the human element of three men who showed up for their brother in need yeah. because I'm not sure the words hope and alone are compatible. Hmm. Pain needs to be diffused through our friendships to come out the other side as hope. Hope is not just a feeling. It's not just a mystical sensation. Hope and, and community go hand in hand. Hope needs human skin. And so one of the things that I would ground this conversation in mm-hmm. is to say all of us need those three friends. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need 300. Mm-hmm. But you need three. Yeah. yeah. And we need to be those kinds of hope ambassadors to the other people that are in our lives as well. Mm-hmm. We need to show up when the world walks out. Mm-hmm. We need to show up in the midst of people's pain and sit with them in their, in their adversity. Uh, this, this brings up a lot. I'm reminded of Jesus's journey to the cross and the triune nature of God and his connection with the Father. It says from the ESV here, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so even in the midst of pain, suffering, trial, Jesus is in communion with the Father, right? And is and so I think that very nature of God is um, has that relation, that there's a, there's a deep relationship there, and I think is, is exemplified in ours, our spiritual friendships with one another in those times of pain. It's fascinating. And um, so one of the, the things I was reflecting on too, I'm just blanking where I was going to go, but on the in terms of Gen Z and millennials, um, looking at some of these, yeah, I think some of these changes, these shifts, and right, social media certainly is a, has a bigger hold on, I'm 29, so I'm a millennial as well. Um, but, you know, there's folks probably early 20s, mid 20s, and right now in their teens who have had just such a great exposure to social media. And I'll perhaps offer a controversial take on social media, but one of the challenges I think is that you have hundreds or whatever of friends that you're connected with, but you actually don't have those deep intimate relationships of two or three people. And the data I think is showing that. We don't have people to turn to or look to um, because we have these indirect relationships where we can see where, what people are doing on social media, on Instagram, on whatever, and we think we know what's going on, but we don't actually have that human embodied incarnational interaction with them and thus don't have that, that relationship that I think God desires for us to have with one another. So all that to say, I know that there's a lot of uh, deep changes generationally, and so would love just to hear some of the kind of some of the big, you know, the big generational changes you've looked into, you've yeah. kind of focused in on. Well, allow me to comment on what you've just said. Yeah. In terms of social media, I don't think it's controversial. I think it's wisdom. I think that data is pointing in that direction. And hmm. in in the book, 
um, I reference this, I, I say something along the lines of, you know, with social media, we sit in the shadow hmm. of friendship, but never in the full light of it. In other words, there's this feeling of like, well, yeah, I've got all these people out there, but when storms hit and you're like, where is everybody? <laughs> I think we have lost the art of friendship today. Yes. It's, yes. it's hurting us and statistically it's killing us. Now you may say that's mm. a super dramatic thing to say, but when you look at the Grant and Gluick Harvard adult development study that I dedicate almost a chapter to in my book, mm -hmm. and you look at the cohort that Harvard studied of over 700 men for 80 plus years, and their number one finding on what makes a person happy, whole, fulfilled, joyous, live well into their old age, it's not their upbringing, it's not their career status, it's not hmm. finances, it's friendship. Yeah. It's literally the existence of healthy, joy-filled friendships. Yeah. So I recently hmm. gave my 15-year-old his first cell phone, which we've subsequently taken off in my head, <laughs> but nonetheless. Um, uh, yeah. And... Um, I put it in his hands and I'm like, son, congratulations. It's like giving them a, a, a key to a car, that, right? Like you're 15, you've waited a long time. But here's right. what I said to him. Right. Hey, just so you know, this thing is the devil. So I'm happy for you. Here's a phone. You can talk to your friends. The world operates on these things. You can't live without one, right? right. This right. is the 21st century. Right. So these bring a, a wonder and a marvel into your life. You can do business all around the world. You can keep up to date with things. You can you can do so much through technology. But FYI, it's the devil. <laughs> yes, right. yes. So yeah, this wisdom. recognition that technology helps and technology hurts, mm. it does both. Hmm. As it relates to millennials and Gen Z, it's not just the large changes that are happening. It's the rate of change. It's yeah. the speed of change. Yeah. It's like we could try and put our finger on something right now and it feels like in a month it's shifted again. So the rate at which we are seeing cultural upheaval right now, it almost takes your breath away. We are like, where did that come from? How yeah. has that changed so much? How do people now think that now? How do they believe that? How are they acting in that way? Yeah. How did the world change so quickly? The rate of change is not going to slow down because technology is an accelerant to that. So hmm. we are in the digital age. The digital revolution has combined and perhaps helped facilitate a loneliness epidemic. And uh, Tyler, for hmm. me, if you ask the question, what's at the bottom of the well what's poisoning the water hmm. where is anxiety depression so many of these modern mm -hmm. ailments mm -hmm. coming from mm -hmm. i think we need to look more closely at the loneliness epidemic hmm. as one one of the central and root causes to what we're seeing hmm. no that's fascinating um I've, I've looked personally looked into a lot of the research around you know gen z uh the information overload the you know the the addictive patterns even of technology of that it creates on the human mind and on the the dependency on it right and it's something that you're but now it's almost it, like a necessary it's evil style right it's not just gen z correct it's all of us correct correct um 
And I'm, I'm, yeah. And sometimes I do wonder, because I've asked this question to other guests on the podcast, right? There is such a, some things you don't want to give to kids until they're able to manage them, right? Just like you gave the phone to your 15-year-old. Sure. In some sense, there's things on tech, on our phones, on email, online that are not meant for 15-year-olds. Or, no, sorry, 10-year-olds or, yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, Tyler, when I think back to my childhood in the 80s, it's like, what in the oh, we are living in different universes yeah. compared to the stuff that children have access to at a young age yeah and that we have access to now so it's yeah. like i'm not an anti-tech kind of person mm-hmm. uh you know I, I i i think that's an unrealistic view of the world and frankly i don't even want to go back to my previous iteration of the macbook that didn't have my little fingerprint scan on it uh, all the conveniences sure. are things that we live by and, and that we want sure. things are getting better faster enabling us to do more things mm-hmm. but we're at the infancy of ai again talk about what right. will become a seismic cultural shift it, it's right again it's the rate of of right. change and i think that's where we've got to look back and go okay what are some of the proven historical mm. virtues and pillars that we can build our lives upon? Yeah. Well, hope is one of those because it's it's like resilience, right? But it's more potent than resilience. Mm. It's go- going to give people a virtue, a framework, and a set of tools to navigate life when life hits the hardest. It's going to help people be able to harness their hardship Hmm. for their destiny it's going to help people who go well i thought faith would make me immune from the challenges of life hang on a second that's not what hope is right hope is not an immunity pass right but hope is the thing that allows that fire to not just devastate but literally to unlock parts of my destiny my flourishing my potential my unique contribution to the world it's adversity and challenges and imperfections that actually create all of those in me. So instead of running from pain and suppressing pain hmm. uh, or becoming a victim to pain, I can start to see it as if I can process pain in the right way, nothing grows me faster, deeper, and better than the storms of life. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And sorry, I was just thinking you said process and in the United States, we say process. And as, as you process, said that, that's I, right. <laughs> but I said, it doesn't, it's, I think it should be process because there's not an A there, but it's actually an O. And so maybe I'll start saying process now, because I think that actually is more, more phonetically correct to, to how it should, should sound. Well, at a minimum, it sounds cooler. <laughs> yeah. And that, that there's that perk too. So <laughs> you get the style points. So well, no, you're, you're, you're right. And I just was thinking, you know, I, you've been in the pastoral ministry, pastored for decades now, have, as you mentioned, your, your work with a lot of organizations, churches, um, who are, you know, are, there's churches that are aging and are looking to find successors and find new leaders. Um, yet there's also, you know, a rise of younger, um, you know, pe- people of faith who are growing and are, and so I think, I'll ask kind of a question and ask it two two ways. And so one is, what are the some of the areas of ch- like that are challenging younger generations that they can learn from the old, or you know even 
in their folks in their 40s 50s 60s the uh, that kind of end what can younger folks teens 20s and then on the on the flip what are some some things potentially that folks in their 40s 50s 60s or whatever that however you break that up can be learning from folks who are who are emerging now and gen z or millennials it's a great question um when you know, research is done on why are Gen Z deconverting from Christianity? You know, I'm talking about kids that have been raised in mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. and deconstructing, deconverting, walking away from the church. Mm-hmm. The number one reason they give is they don't have an answer to why a good God, a good God allows bad things to happen to good people. So, one of the misconceptions, Tyler, I would think it's a massive misconception, is that young people are walking away from the church because the church isn't cool enough or the church isn't modern enough. And with enough money, any church can solve that. You can bring in a production company and mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. your stage cool and, and do sure. all of those things. But we're missing the heart of it we have younger generations that are asking real questions. They're asking questions of our theology, why we do what we do. And we've got to be willing to re-examine some of our narratives Mm. over these things. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I would encourage people in church leadership to not just think a, a cooler Instagram feed will solve this right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to dig deeper. We've got to look at, at, at why. So take like just, mm-hmm. okay, young people are leaving the church because they don't have a theology on suffering. Mm. Well, why is that? Well, how often have we heard, for example, Romans 8 talked about all things work together for good for those who love God, full stop. Except it's not a full stop. It's not a full stop in Romans 8. Mm-hmm. Before Romans 8 comes Romans 7. <laughs> After Romans 8 comes Romans 9. Yeah. It's not right. actually a mystery to us. Even the most basic reader of Scripture can find this. It's not a mystery. Mm-hmm. Oh, what was the Apostle Paul talking about when he talks about all things work together for good? Well, mm-hmm. I wonder what he was talking about. Right. We know what he was talking about because he literally lists what they were. The all things were not good things. They were bad things. And this is where I think we need to return to the teachings of Paul. Because Paul had, he saw no incongruence between a faith that in one hand can hold deep suffering, challenges, Mm -hmm. pain, and in the other hand holds just this burning bright hope of the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. Paul saw no contradiction between doing that. Right. But Paul's all things were things like, oh, he was beaten unto death. He was betrayed by his closest friends. He went through shipwrecks. He went through sicknesses. He had a thorn in his flesh, which he prayed that God would re- remove. And oh, by the way, God chose not to remove it. You go on and on and you're like, oh my goodness, this man suffered. Yeah. This man had a hardship. This man knew what it was to carry crucibles in life and yet he says all things work together for good for those who love god Hmm. it's 
the bad things that work together for good. Mm. So mm-hmm. that would be yeah. an example yeah. of what older generations can pass on to younger generations. Hey, the old things that end up working in your favor, these old things are not just good things. The old things are going to be the challenges that you think at the time, you know, are the end of you. And I like to do a little napkin illustration when I'm having these conversations. And if you're mentoring, you know, a 22-year-old, I think this is a great thing that you can do. Mm. You know, back of a napkin with a pen and Mm -hmm. just chart a a little axes and, and time and growth and just have someone chart their own personal growth and spiritual growth through Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And you'll find this, by the way, over time, Mm -hmm. that growth is not a linear straight line. Mm -hmm. It's not a linear gradient because growth doesn't happen in a consistent, predictable curve. When we chart our growth, what we would see is we'd see peaks and we'd see troughs, we'd see plateaus, we'd see breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. Perhaps we'd even see you know, circles and, and a mix of incoherent shapes that describe this is what was happening in my life. But here's what we would discover through that exercise. The triggers where our growth surged, they would be the challenges and the adversity in our life. Hmm. Crucibles and adversity grow us and make us who hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. So we need to pass this on to new generations that hope is not hype. It's hmm. not pretending that everything is fine. Hmm. Hardship, not perfection, is the starting point of hope. Hmm. In terms That's of right. what can a 60-year-old learn from you know, Gen Z, I, I just think for all of us that feel like you know we're challenged by what we're seeing, we're a part of an older generation, what's happening with young people today, hmm. I think we have to keep a heart of love Hmm. They're the future of our world. They're the future of church. They've been raised in a world that's very different to the world that we were raised in. We need to sit with them. We need to ask questions of them. We need to listen to their journey, their struggles, their pain. And I think when we do, we'll find that we all share the same human experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We need to, what I'm trying to say, Tyler, is this. We need to become very coherent in the language of empathy empathy Mm. not just instruction but empathy Mm -hmm. i think that's spot on um yeah but i'm nodding a lot of what you're saying because i think that we're required to listen well more than ever um and to and it goes back to your thing of actually hearing somebody and to befriending somebody into listening. So often we want to get our point across. And so cultivating that posture of empathy, I think is huge. Obviously we see the rise of, in some sense, we are all counselors to one another, right? And um, as Jesus is our good counselor. And I think, you know, that's, there's a, there's a need for that. Um, but also it's just reflecting and you're right. I think a lot of younger folks in their twenties are, uh, the, the Christian worldview is not assumed, um, perhaps like it was in past generations, with the, uh, the rise of skepticism, the rise of you know, postmodern thinking. The, the things that were assumed for folks in their you know, 50s, 60s, at least the United States, I definitely would imagine in Australia as well, uh, questions of sin, of suffering, what is the hope of this world, 
of my own identity, right, are up for debate, right? And so there, there is a wrestling with theology. There's a wrestling with worldview that I think needs to be, there needs to be a space for that. And I think the platform has to be there because people are asking these questions because that's what's the felt need. That's what's relevant as well. So it's not necessarily the light show or the, you know, the new platform or stage, but is the wrestling, the deep conversation, the listening, the empathy, sometimes even the challenge, right? Or the, the correction in, in these, these areas that I think is, I think, you know, I'm 29, but folks, that's what I'm hearing, not only in the church, but in households, right? I have parents who come to me and say, I'm interested in, in Genesis now because my kids are asking me questions and I don't feel prepared to be able to answer it. And so, you know, just a reflection as you were, you were sharing. Yeah. So true. Well, so I think that, uh, that wraps up our time for today. So Benjamin, it's been a, a pleasure to have you on the, the podcast here. And so just want to know where folks can find you or anything else you'd like to leave our listeners. Uh, I've loved spending this time with you. Thank you so much. Uh, people can find the book, Good Catastrophe, by going to goodcatastrophe.com. And you can find more of my teaching and resources and work mm-hmm. with churches and so forth at Benjamin Windle. Mm-hmm. W-I-N-D-L-E BenjaminWindle.com mm-hmm. Very good. Well, thank you, Benjamin. Talk to you later. Thank you.